How's everybody doing? JC Santana from the Institute of Human Performance. We're going to be talking about an old topic. And when I say old, it, I mean it precedes me. It is so old that you got to go back to Vladimir Yanda and his assessments to really get to the root of this topic, anti-sitting. What does that mean? That means we live in a world where you sit too much. And when you sit too much, there are predicted predicted things that happen, and those predictions are usually 100% correct, and what to do to correct the issues that come from that are usually the same thing with everybody. So it's kind of pretty easy. So imagine if you were a doctor, and all you saw was broken arms. Broken arms, broken arms. It got to the point where you go, okay, broken arm, cast. Broken arm, cast. Set the arm, cast. Set the arm, cast. You would be busy, and your work would be very valuable, very needed, very appreciated, but you'd be doing the same thing. Why? Because it's the same problem. So undoing the sitting position is global, okay? And it was first noticed by Vladimir Yanda. And we're going to talk about all the muscles that he talked about, all the syndromes he became popular for, and some of the basic things that you can do to undo the sitting position, which you probably already do. But the nice thing is to now know that you're doing it, so you do it with design instead of by coincidence. All right, so obviously, if you like any of our information, all right, any of our information, I think it's summarized in these two books available at IHP Pro Shop and Amazon.com, Functional Training and uh, Total Body Transformation. Between these two books, I don't even know, maybe we have 200, 300 programs, workouts, uh, and I think we're up to a little bit under 500 different exercises. I've written 17 books. The prior 15 before these two were a series of medicine balls, body weight, dumbbells, band and pulleys, stability balls, all the different modalities of functional training, the functional training, boxing, all of that. These two books, okay, summarize the best of the best of those 15 books. So I tell everybody, if you want to know our stuff here, these two, period. We have a, an app that's coming out now that's going to be these two. All the programs that are in these books, all the exercises that are in these books, and of course the IHP programming as well as the assessments, so keep an eye out for that. And it's coming out in Spanish and English, hopefully by the end of the year, and if not, early next year. Okay, we're already in the process. Got it? So these are the references. Visit IHP Pro Shop, or it's also available on Amazon.com. All right, so let's talk about here. What is sitting? As I used to say, sitting is the root of all functional evil. If you look at rotator cuff, if you look at elbow issues, if you look at wrist issues, if you look at knee issues, lower back issues, and sometimes even ankle issues, I will show you the sitting position associated with it. You go, wow, why was that? It's coming. We're going to talk about the mechanism of action, the academics, and, and the academics will be substantiated by just common knowledge. When I point out an example, you're going to go, I've seen it. I know it's true. I don't need scientific literature. That's how I like to um, present. The, uh, the negative impact of the sitting position, myths, fallacies, and the unknowns. There's a lot of myths. There's a lot of fallacies. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work, and we don't know why, and a lot of stuff that works, and we don't know why. And it's fine to not know the mechanism of action of things, because a lot of times, it may be proven 20, 30 years. Hell, it may be proven 20, 30 years after you're dead. So if you don't use something that has a track record of being successful because you don't have scientific evidence, you may be missing out on a lot of great things. So you got to use your common sense. you got to use a little bit of your education and keep these eyes open. Don't let somebody tell you, hey, don't believe your lying eyes, right? Okay? <clears throat> if one thing <clears throat> we do very well here at IHP is to keep things simple. Uh, I've been oftentimes given very nice compliments by our fans and our colleagues and whatnot. <clears throat> and I think the one that I really like the most is the, uh, the, the one that, where they come and say, you know, Carlos, you have an, an uncanny way of making the complex very simple. And that is like Einstein. Two of my favorite scientists of all times was Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. Go do yourself a favor. Go to, um, go to uh, Google and Google Isaac Newton quotes. Check them things out. Number one, 
a lot of the quotes are like two or three sentences, but when you read them, the language and the concepts are so, so complex that you sometimes don't even know what the topic is. Einstein, on the other hand, his quotes are like your grandfather's quotes, you know? It's like, if you can't explain it, simple, you just don't know it well enough. You know, things like that where you go, God, it's just like universal truth provided in just simple grandfather language, you know? And that's one of my favorite guys, and that's why I keep things simple. Plus, I'm not that smart anyways. I got to keep it simple. The brilliance of simplicity, because when things are simple, everybody can understand. If everybody can understand, everybody can partake. If everybody can partake, everyone can benefit. So I want an exercise that's really not hard to do, that my 88-year-old mom can do, that's also good for my Olympic sprinter, the same exercise. And all I do is I can manage the range of motion, I can manage the load, that's it, and make it a very advanced exercise and make it a very simple exercise. That type of exercise that has that type of applicability, that type of progression where it's easy to progress, I don't have to move people, I don't have to bring more stuff, those are my pearl exercises. Those are the ones that I keep in my pocket all the time. All right? And we're going to also keep it very simple, but we want to fix the problem. And if fixing the problem can be five exercises, body weight with no equipment, then it's awesome because to that body weight exercise, I can add a medicine ball. I can add dumbbells. I can add a band and change the vector of loading. I can add speed. I can add range of motion. Boom. Now I've got, I don't have five exercises. I have five major progressions that could pan out 40, 50, 60 different exercise progressions. That's a lot of great applications with five or six basic exercises, and that's where we're heading. All right? So what, what is sitting, and why is it the root of all functional evil? Okay? Number one, if you look at function, today we did a live and somebody said, hey, the word function has been bastardized to no end. What is your definition? And it's a tough one, and I said, listen, in order for me not to get into my own uh, intellectual property type of thing and simple, I start with the English, English language. I go to Webster and go, okay, what does function mean? Utility, something something is uh, designed for. Great, okay. So what is the body's function so I can identify functional training? I first have to identify function. And that was a little difficult because the body can do a lot of things, a lot of things, almost like a, an infinite amount of, of uh, motor patterns. And I said, yeah, that's got to be simplified because there's no way I'm going to define this and no way I'm going to say, oh, okay, this is functional, this is not. So the first thing I said is function is a utility. What is this body made for? Well, it's made to locomote, change levels, push and pull, and rotate. We call those the four pillars. All right, so functional training is improving the four pillars because that is the body's mechanical function. Got it. So functional training is training that optimally enhances the four pillars or a target activity. Usually a target activity involves the four pillars. Got it? Optimally. Because if you do knee extension with a couch potato, he's going to improve his walking, running, and all that good stuff. So if you're going to see any training that improves human function, that, that's just going to be everything. And you can't do that because then you, you, you didn't define anything. Okay? So we like it to optimally, optimally enhance a target activity, which for us is the four pillars of human movement. When you improve the four pillars, the tennis becomes a better tennis player. The wrestler becomes, um, the tennis player becomes a, a better tennis player. The wrestler becomes a better wrestler. The baseball player swings better. Why? Because you improve the body's ability to function doing what it does. So when it applies that mechanical utility to a sport and you've improved the, uh, the mechanical utility, bingo. You've improved the function, so it's good functional training. All right, so now let's look at sitting. Look at what's short. Look at what's long, okay? And then is there a, a, a difference? All right, so now look. When you're sitting down, okay, these solid lines are shortened muscles. Now, what does that mean, shortened? It doesn't mean that they become short because they originate and insert in the same place your entire life. So muscle doesn't get shortened. When we say a shortened muscle, it means a muscle that is happy when it's short and very unhappy as it lengthens. We call this an eccentric load. That's where the muscle damage occurs in a rep. That's what causes the big pain and growth and all that good stuff. It's a good portion of the full contraction, that lengthening. 
and that is the lengthening, the eccentric component of muscle action, all right? And when you sit them in a short position, they don't like to lengthen. All right, these on the other side are lengthened already because you've got along the back, along the front, and the butt. When you get tired, this rounds. So all of this gets lengthened, and all of this gets shortened. All of this gets lengthened, the hamstring and gastro gets shortened, and everything. All right, now I ask you, where are the injuries to the body? Boom, boom, it's always in the back. What is it? Shortened muscles. Shortened muscles here, okay? Now, actually, they're weakened muscles. This whole system is weak. These muscles like to be short. These muscles like to be long. It doesn't matter. A long muscle that's sitting, you know, for a long period of time, stretched, when you contract it fast, it gets injured because it's not made and it's not trained to do that, right? When you have a shortened muscle, when it's short, it's happy. All of a sudden, you ask it to lengthen under load and bingo, you have problems. And people say, see, lack of flexibility, stretch them. No lack of strength, strengthen them, okay? If they lack strength in a lengthened position, you have to strengthen the lengthened position. If they get um, injured shortening, you got to train them to shorten under load and under the proper speed too. So all of this creates a training opportunity where you look at these different movements and you go, okay, what does the body not like to do? Oh, it doesn't like to act as a bow. It doesn't like to lengthen this because it's always short like this. Okay, what can I do to lengthen the body here so I can walk, so I can throw, so I can serve? How do I get this body to act like a bow? And then you create those exercises, and we're going to go over some of those. We look at spinal pressures, and we're all concerned about spinal pressure. Guys, let that go. That's uh, Nakamsem's uh, research on spinal loading. He put needles in the discs, and he measured everything from coughing to picking up files to laying down to uh, picking up things with a, a flex back and looked at the, at the pressures in the disc. And wouldn't you know, one of the highest pressures was coughing, believe it or not. And of course, rounding your back puts a lot of pressure in certain areas of the disc, and we think that pressures are bad. As you can see, this is Nakamsum's work here. Laying down, laying down sideways, upright, 150, hunched over, 120, picking things up, you know, um, sitting up straight, 140. This is percentage of body weight. Uh, hunching over sitting, 185, almost double body weight, your pressure. And this is the pressure that is seen at the discs. So when you're standing, the discs see the pressure that they see, 100% of the pressure they see standing. But when you hunch over, the, the, the discs see, okay, 150% of the pressure. Okay, so it's like 50% more. It's a lot. When you hunch over or you pick up things, 220. So it's doubled the pressure on the discs. Okay, so here, here you are, 275, hunched over sitting. So when you pick up, when you're sitting down doing dumbbells, presses, and you, and you sit at the end of the bench, and you hunch over to pick up 40, 50-pound dumbbells, bingo, that is one of the worst positions in terms of intervertebral disc pressure. Terrible, terrible, okay? And we do it all the time. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't be guided by the pressure. Why? Jesus, strong men pick up atlas stones that are 400 pounds. Can you imagine the pressure on that spine? And they're fine. Why? Because if you train the spine to do what the spine needs to do, it is capable of enormous pressures, enormous pressures, without any problems. Okay? Look at wrestlers. They pick up each other in, in the most ugliest of positions, but when they've been training the back to do that since the time that they're eight, nine years old, it's no problem. It's no problem. You take a strong person that's not used to picking up a kid, they're tired at 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, hypoglycemic hour, they're like, uh, uh, here comes the kid from school, and they pick him up, and the kid weighs 26 pounds, 30 pounds, boom, there goes the disc. As a matter of fact, many discs are just blown up by the gesture. Some people will tell you, um, I was just picking up a sock, I, pick, I was picking up my shoe, I bent over and I fell down and they had to call the ambulance. We get those crazy, crazy stories here all the time from real bad backs that we see here, all right? So this position here that we know, bent over flies from a sitting position, 
horrendous. Picking up things out of the trunk of the car. You can't get into good position. It's impossible to get in the good position. you got to reach and flex your spine because your, your knees are blocked by the bumper of the car. So trunks of the car, putting kids into seats, uh, taking babies out of cribs, all of that are enormous loads on the spine, yet part of everyday occurrence. So we have to, we have to teach the body how to take those loads, okay? And the body can. That's the good news. Okay, lumbar and hip. Mechanism of action. When you're short in your hip flexors, because you're flexed like this all the time, so this is short. When you stand up, here is the problem. You're, this is called an anterior pelvic tilt, okay? So your pelvis, since your psoas attaches to here, all along here, when this is short, you can imagine this turns this way. This pelvic goes this way, pelvic region goes that way, and you get an anterior tilt. When you get an anterior tilt, the, 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 the lumbar spine gets on fire. And all because this is short from that sitting position. All right, so there is your big mechanism of action, this. Right there, if I just do that, my back hurts right, just my back is hurting right now and it's not until I do this and then tuck it a little bit in. I'm not talking about scared dog, okay? For the longest time, we always said posterior tilt, you know, and so we walked around like this all the time. That's not, that's not the case. And there's people who have naturally a huge anterior tilt, and this has the right curvature, and they're not in pain. You know, a lot of athletes will have an anterior tilt. Maybe that's why they're athletes, because they have an anterior tilt that already preloads the glutes, and you see huge glutes and hamstrings, and they're fine. Some people can't tolerate that anterior tilt. They do that anterior tilt, and their back goes on fire. So... It depends a lot on your uh, mechanical and, and bone structure and ligament structure, okay? But this is the psoas. You can see here, boom, okay? Attaches to here. And when this pulls, this goes forward, all right? And you get this huge stress on the lumbar spine. That is the most common mechanism of action. We talked about Vladimir Yanda. And this, he was known for his upper and lower cross syndrome. He was the first one that came up with this syndrome thing, right? And all it is is a disparity between this cross syndrome where if you had tight stuff here, your pelvis would um, tilt anteriorly, hyper curve this back, hyper extend the lumbar spine, and then that, that would set up a hyper flexed upper uh, thoracic spine and you would have the upper cross syndrome and lower cross syndrome. When you have the anterior pelvic uh, tilt, it's called the lower cross syndrome, all right? These are long and tight muscles, see? Weak muscle line and tight muscle line. So these guys are tight and these guys are long. And so here you go, lower cross syndrome, uh, typical muscle imbalances. You can read that for yourself. We'll make that available in the notes, okay? But the key players, the key players are the psoas and uh, iliopsoas and hip flexors, uh, the rectus femoris. Those are the key players with the sitting. And then also the, the tight hamstrings also uh, have, have uh, issues with that, so it, it just sets up a terrible me uh, mechanic uh, and leverage system at the bottom. Okay, the negative impact is you, you have inhibited extension. See this full extension, okay? If you're sitting like this all the time, the leg can't extend. If the leg can't extend, this pelvis is going to go forward. So in, in people with shortened hip flexors from sitting too much, they'll tell you, oh, I got to start walking. Or I got to start jogging to get back in shape and lose some weight. The worst thing you can do with a lower cross syndrome or tight hip flexors, the worst thing you can do is start take off running. Because when you try to extend your leg like this, this is an exaggerated position because it's an acceleration position. This is when you have to exaggerate everything. All right, but you can imagine that jogging, you still need to extend the, the leg fully when you jog and when you walk. All right, if I pull this downward like that and I extend my hip like that one, right in here, I'm going to be short. If I'm going to be short, that lumbar spine, boom, gets banged because I get an anterior pelvic tilt with every stride, every stride, every stride, and it's just these people's back go on fire when they're out of shape and trying to use walking and jogging without getting ready to walk and jog.
Here's the irony. When you're a couch potato or you're a clerical person and you're sitting for eight, ten hours, so remember, you sit to go to work because you're driving. You sit to work because you're a clerical person, front desk, clerical, an attorney, whatever. You're sitting down negotiating, calling, bang, boom, boom. Then you sit to go home. Then you sit to eat. And then you're tired and you sit to watch TV. Then you fall asleep and you're usually in some kind of fetal position. So when you add all of those hours, how many hours a day are you in a flex position with everything here short? And then what happens when you, oh, let's play tennis to get in shape. Oh, let's walk to get in shape. Look how long this is, just walking. I got to make this long. If this is short, my pelvis is going to turn forward and my back is going to go on fire. So for the couch potatoes, we say, before you jog, before you walk, get into the gym and let me prep you for about two weeks. Lengthen your hip flexors so you can walk in a healthy manner and not be shut down after two weeks because your bad back got on fire. Got it? Okay. So Normally, when somebody comes in through uh, the doors of IHP and they're in a weakened state, our first order of business is understand that they have a short front. This front doesn't like to be upright, doesn't like to extend. Okay, so anything that requires extension, such as walking, serving, overhead throws, whatever, terrible, and a weak back. So short front, weak back, big problems. Hip extension and hip flexion. So what do we do? Lengthen the front, strengthen the back. Short front, undo it, lengthen it. Weak back, undo it, strengthen it. So if the problem is short front and weak back, the solution is lengthen the front and strengthen the back. You do that, I'm telling you right now, you do that and 90% of your problems with your back are gonna be gone. Because why? Because that is fundamental in undoing the sitting position. Real simple, guys, real simple. All right, so we look at myths, syndromes, and unknowns, okay? What is the biggest unknown, and why does that unknown propagate myths and fallacies, okay? Because structures are different, and we don't have any way of knowing what structure is walking through the door. For example, there are some structures that allow this anterior tilt, big butt, and you go, God, his back must be on fire. No, absolutely no, no, no symptoms, totally healthy. There's other people who are built in a position where they can't overhead press. There's other people who are built in a position where they can't squat, not even to parallel. They're not good squatters. Why? I'll show you. There's structures of shoulders and hips and vertebrae that limit you in what you're doing. That is why so many people are injured in yoga. Because yoga assumes that everybody's got this long-ass range of motion, which they don't, and I'll show you the bones. So people are into a cobra or downward dog, and they do that for 10 years, and before you know it, boom, hip replacement, low back, burned disc, herniated disc, shoulder replacement. We get them in here. They've been doing yoga for 17 years. Now they can't do yoga. Uh, some of them are ready for uh, shoulder, uh, reverse shoulder, um, uh, uh, shoulder, um, Replacement, uh, I myself, I have, not that I've done yoga, but I myself, because of too much range of motion in karate and Olympic weightlifting, two artificial hips, my knee is coming on its way. So we get this all the time, right? So what do you have? Pelvic tilt. Well, a pelvic tilt is a pelvic tilt, but that doesn't mean you can't tell me beyond 10 degrees is bad. No, because there's people that walk in here with a pelvic tilt of 15, 20 degrees, totally healthy. It's just they got a big ass. They got strong ass. They got that, you know, that, that stud type of gorilla walk, you know? Problems. And I see that a lot in my fighters, you know? This is another one. Paraformis syndrome. Really? A syndrome is something that you don't even know if it's a cause and effect. A syndrome is when three or four things are always seen together. Okay? They're guilty by association. They're, they're guilty by proximity. They're not guilty by proof of guilt. They're just... Guilty because of association, right? Piriformis. This is just, a, to me, it's a weak ass. I've never seen a piriformis syndrome. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. I'm just saying I've never seen one. In 40 years, I've never seen any piriformis syndrome that I can't fix with ass exercises. Lateral reaching lunges, single leg anterior reaches, those types of things. Cable deadlifts. All day, every day. I've never seen a piriformis syndrome that has stayed a syndrome. 
You strengthen that butt, whatever that is, it's gone. Plus, I've been diagnosed with piriformis syndrome. The guy who diagnosed me with piriformis syndrome electrocuted the shit out of my glutes, stretched me out to no end, and in two weeks, I was in my first hip replacement surgery. After, he, after two weeks, he goes, I don't think I can do anything for you. When the initial diagnosis was, oh, you got piriformis syndrome. I can fix that in two seconds. Two weeks later, I was already calling the orthopod. Hey, man, when can you schedule me in? So I'm very, very, very scared of this piriformis syndrome just from my own, um, from my own experience. Cross-pelvic syndrome, this is, a, this is a favorite thing among chiropractors. Oh, you have a, a cross-pelvic syndrome. What does that mean, guys? Listen, everybody's pelvis is crossed. Why? I'm right-handed, so I grew up as a little kid. I'm playing kickball, soccer, whatever. And I kick with the right. When I kick with the right, I load here, load here, load here. That means that this guy here is long, okay? This guy here is the one that holds the body. So this guy here is strong. So long and strong, long and strong. Okay, short and weak, short and weak. There's your pelvic cross syndrome. So always, always you're going to have something more tilted than the other because of the same reason that moms, after having a baby, carry the baby with the left arm, the non-dominant arm. And with the right hand, they write checks, they open doors, they do diapers, and they mix uh, bottles, right? What happens six months after the baby's born? You give them 12-pound dumbbells, the left non-dominant side rocks and rolls. Bang, 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 bang. The right strong dominant side can't keep up. Why? This one's been carrying the baby for six months. This one's been doing all the fine motor patterns for six months. This bicep is stronger than this bicep. This trap is stronger than this trap. This hip here is longer than this hip. And before you know it, there is a imbalance that is necessary and natural. Just like a golfer. Try to balance Tiger Woods or one of the other top, try to balance them out. They won't play golf because they have to be imbalanced by definition in order to do what they do, okay? A mom is no different, uh, a, a baseball player is no different, a tennis player is no different. Look at the difference in forearms. Nobody dies. So this whole piriformis syndrome and cross pelvic syndrome, for me, it's garbage, okay? It's garbage. All I care about is symptoms. Are you in pain? You're not in pain? Great. Proceed with caution. Are you in pain? Stop immediately. Okay? Can we do things that don't cause you pain? Yes, let's start with those. Over 40 years, when you take that approach, the same thing happens. The pain reduces until some point. Sometimes it's gone altogether. Sometimes you have arthritis. Sometimes you have a structural issue where there's some pain which, which will remain there forever. In that case, either A, you're, you're happy with the level of pain, B, you stop the activity that causes you pain, or C, you get an operation and hopefully alleviate the pain that way. That's all there is. There's no exercise sometimes that can help the, the situation if you're bone on bone, for example. If you have a torn uh, rotator cuff that's causing an issue. When that happens, either fix the rotator cuff, do whatever exercise. If you're still in pain after all the exercises that you have because the rotator cuffs are so torn that you have reduced function of the shoulder, then you've got to make up your mind. A, don't do anything with the shoulder that hurts. B, get it operated and see if you can be restored to normal. All right? That's it. And C, do medication. Pain medications is not a good option because then opioids are an issue and, or, or anti, um, 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 steroidal, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories which now cause a whole GI issue with some people. So the, the choices are obvious, and they're not all great, but a combination of all the choices could be, could be doable. Structural differences we'll see and biomechanical preferences. Some people like to throw sideways. Some people like to throw over the top. Each one has a different impact on the shoulder. Uh, some wrestlers like takedowns, and other wrestlers like body lock. Body locks that will have an impact on lower back and uh, hamstring function. So preferences, biomechanical preferences, are built on history, structure, neurology. Some people like certain patterns, and we don't know why they like certain patterns. So you got to let them do that. There's no need to learn another pattern if the pattern that you have is working. It doesn't mean that it's bad or good. So for example, if you have 
32 moms who are asymptomatic, and all 32 moms pick up a child. They'll say, pick up your child. Let me see how you do it. You're going to see 32 different strategies at picking up a kid. Now, the 32 different strategies are working for the 32 different moms. Why? Because none of them are in pain, and all of them are functioning well. Now, I ask you, what's the best biomechanical pattern? And you can't tell me what this one. You can say, mathematically, this one puts less stress on that, less stress on this, more stress on that, so that one will be better. But wait a minute. What if, biomechanically, the mom is built that way? So yeah, it, it's more stress on that, but she's got more muscle. She's got more bone density. She's got better uh, leverage, better uh, angle in, inside of the joints to accommodate for that additional stress. Now, the question is, what is the best form then? So I'm always going by symptoms. We train symptoms. We don't train diagnoses. We train symptoms. There's a lot of times that we have herniated discs, and the herniated discs are asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. Herniated discs, as clear as day in, a, in, a, in an x-ray, in an MRI, no pain. And then sometimes we have just little something, and sometimes nothing, and enormous pain, and we don't even know where the pain is. We've had those issues. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns, and, and at the end of the day is, what can you do? What causes pain? This doesn't cause pain. We're going with that. That causes pain. I don't care why it causes pain. We're not doing it because the pain itself tells you, hey, something's wrong. All right, so let's take a look at this. Pelvic structure. As you can see, look, if you, if you see the, um, the uh, acetabular uh, fascia here, you could see that they're angled differently. Some are angled down, some are angled out. So imagine if you're angled out, uh, down and forward, this is not a good candidate for a straddle split. And if you do a straddle split with them, they might be okay when they're young, and then when they're 40 or 50, what happens? Oh, now you've developed arthritis. Okay, but if, you're, if your acetabulum is, is, instead of forward and down, up and out, this guy here is a great candidate for straddle splits and Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics and all that stuff. Why? Because the structure is that way. How do you know which one is coming in? You don't. So be careful. And you can look at this. You can look at the iliac crest. This is going to impact, all these are going to impact how the glutes function because it, it, it's going to impact their orientation. You can see the glenoid fascia. How much of that joint you can see? How much of that bowl you can see? A lot. That means it's pointed forward. Look at this one here. You can't see a whole lot. Why? Because it's outward. It's outward. Okay? And then you can see from the top, you can see the, the vertebral shelf there uh, on top of the, um, uh, of the sacrum. And some are looking forward. That forward tilt gives you that nice curve in the butt. This one here is more upright. Well, if it's sitting more upright, you can't have that natural curve in the lumbar spine, and that's when you get that flat ass look. Everybody here knows somebody who's totally flat ass. It's just, boom, that's that spine right there. That sacral shelf right here on, on S, uh, S, S5, okay, is sitting up. That means L5 has to sit right on top. If the shelf of S5, no, S1, L5, S1. Yeah, is it number from the top down? Anyways, when the first lumbar, okay, and the first sacral joint, if they're congruent and this one tilts forward, then my lumbar will sit here and give me that nice shelf, okay, that nice curve. And you get a, a presence or an appearance of a nice swaying back and a nice butt. But if it's like this, it's, <clears throat> there is no curvature in that lumbar spine, which gives you the appearance of a flat back, okay? So how do you know? Flat back people are not good squatters. They can't be. It's just not oriented right there. Their, their pelvis is kind of, you know, posteriorly tilted. That means they can't access their glutes the way. You, you, you won't see any flat-ass people that are fast, high jumpers, or, or big squatters. You're just not going to see it. Okay? Now, okay, you can see, yeah, it's S1 up at the top. Okay? So, as you can see, I don't use this information a whole lot. It's like, oh, L5, S1. Oh, yeah, L5, S1. So, okay, so S1 is from the top down, just like T from the top down, L1, L5 from the top down. So I had to figure that one out. But anyways, look at the curvature. This curvature is going to have a huge impact on orientation of the, of the back, how the glutes can work. Look at, the, look at the lumbar spine. Look how small this space is in between this thick one here. Look at the huge space in between here. 
This one here, okay, remember, this is front, the belly is, the, the stomach is here, this is dorsal, right? So now, when we have that, all right, what happens, okay? No, wait a minute, the other way around. Anyways, what happens here, when, when we do a, a cobra, when we do a cobra, what happens? All these vertebral, okay, they're going to be bent this way. This is the belly over here, okay, and this is the back. When we bend them this way, all these vertebral bodies, bam. If you have space, you're good. You don't have space, all this is going to bump like that, okay? So this would be good for a yoga class to do a cobra. This would be good for a deadlifter, one of those big, big, big people that, that just want to deadlift because there's not a whole lot of mobility here. This one here could be a Cirque du Soleil acrobat. That one there is going to be a strong man. How do you know which back you have? How do you know when somebody goes into, um, into a yoga uh, class or into your gym what exercises you're going to do for them? Pain, pain, pain dictates, and if you don't have to do the exercise, don't do it. Choose something that's very organic. That's my, that's my big thing. Okay? So, what are the simple ways to lengthen the front and strengthen the back? Easy. The most fundamental easy positions are lengthen the body. There, there you have your push-ups. There you have your planks. There you have your elbow rollouts. Easy. So this is in a lengthened position, all right, with everything in the front contracted. Beautiful. Same thing for the back here. So these two are your easiest things to Lengthen the front, strengthen the back, okay, from a prone and supine position. We call that the push-up or the plank position and the recline pull. Easy, easy way to go, okay? So the brilliance of simplicity is the basic progressions, all right? The basic, three of them, the split stance. The split stance is huge. When do you use the split stance? You can use the split stance on split squats, Bulgarian squats. Um, let's see, lunges, uh, and different types of lunges. You have rotational lunges, you have cheerleading lunges, you have the traditional lunge, lunges, right? Traditional upright. Uh, you also have this position, your staggered position in your presses, and your staggered position in your rows. So anytime you're using this split stance, whether it's isometric in a push and a pull, or dynamic in a split squad, Romanian dead, uh, not Romanian deadlift, um, Bulgarian squat, anything like that, beautiful. You're lengthening the front and strengthening the back too because this side, this right side is lengthening the front, but the left side is lengthened in the rear and strengthened in the rear. So great stuff. Bridges, all sorts of bridges to include, to include your hip thrusts because think about it. The hip thrust uses a bent knee position, okay? What's the difference between a bridge and a hip thrust? The hip thrust is a bent knee bridge, usually loaded here at the hips with some bar or sandbag or, or, um, or a band. Now, when you're supine with your knees bent, the rectus femoris, femoris, which is a hip flexor, is lengthened because of your knee flex position, okay? Now, the rectus femoris is a hip flexor, so when you bridge up, from a hip thrust, you're lengthening that one hip flexor that's right in the middle of the quadriceps, all right, that a lot of times is the culprit in you not being able to extend the hip. Usually it's a combination of iliosaurus and, and rectus femoris, but that, that, that hip thrust goes after that big time rectus femoris and all the other stuff goes after the iliosaurus equally. So all of these sequences, the prone position in a plank, your staggered position in presses, rowing, uh, uh, squatting, and lunging, and your bridging position to include hip thrust are all basic fundamental progressions, okay? So you have prone planks, split stance, and supine bridging exercises. These are three categories. Under each one, you probably have 20, 30 exercises that you can think of, from two-legged to single-legged, all right? So here are your basic squat, uh, uh, basic exercises. Split squats and lunges, all great. Lengthen the front, strengthen the back. The split stance band presses, awesome. 
That, that split stance is here. Now, if we're going to go single arm, okay, we load the same arm of that rear leg. Why? Because when I'm being pulled this way, I need, on this side, I need stability against that vector. And that gives me that. If I go load here, there's nothing behind this foot. So I got to be like there, and I'm all crossed up. So normally, when you're doing these split stance band presses, if you're doing, if you're doing double, no problems. But if you're doing what we call contralateral arm, it means the front foot, opposite arm, contralateral. The front foot is always the, the, the reference leg. Got Weight bearing, front leg, reference leg. So if it's a staggered stance, contralateral, okay, contralateral press, that means it's a staggered stance, contralateral to the front, contralateral here. And that is because that rear leg provides that basis of support so when the cable or band pushes you backwards, it can catch you and you can use a lot more weight that way. Your planks and your push-ups, also perfect. And that includes your rollouts too, not only on the wall, but on the stability ball on the floor, okay? Band RDLs, beautiful, okay? The band RDLs pull you in that direction and then you can pull low, mid, and high. Why is that awesome? If I'm doing here, I get compressive loads. Here, compression. Everything is pushing me down. Compression is no problem. But as I do this, okay, all right, the lever arm of the load and my lumbar spine increases, 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 increases until my spine is this way and I'm shearing. The forces are shearing forces at each vertebrae. So imagine the hip here and the barbell here. Okay, the shoulders here, the barbell here. This distance shears each vertebrae. Shearing is a terrible thing. This. This is no problem. This will tear up floors. It'll tear up metal. It'll tear up anything, this, this friction. And this is called shearing. And that's what happens in your weighted RDLs and your weighted good mornings. Horrendous. But when you're pulling that way, when I get into my deep, deep, deep position, I'm getting tractioned. So here, my back is getting traction into my back is going, oh, thank you. But the glute and hamstrings are getting lengthened. So the, the eccentric loading on the posterior chain, glute and hamstrings are enormous while I'm sparing the back. So these band RDLs and compound rows here are beautiful. Bridges and hip thrusts, we already talked about the difference between the bridges, straight legs. Hip thrust, bent knee. Bent knee, more rectus femoris stretch. Bridges, all even. Iliosaurus and rectus femoris is chilling. Okay? And bent over progressions. All your bent over progressions, whether it's kickbacks or anything like this, bent over rows, are always good for the, for the posterior chain. It's just you, you got to be careful with the load, with the fatigue level, and the, 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 the structure of the person and their capabilities. Some people just get into these beautiful positions and you can bent over row them, you can bent over uh, uh, kick back them till they're blue in the face because they just have this beautiful way to move. There's people that, that just, they don't get this neurologically. They just don't get it and they get into terrible positions. You know what? Use a bench. Use a bench. Put the bench in an incline position, lay them on the bench, and then you can do whatever the heck you want. If you can't lunge, split squat them. As a matter of fact, if you're not sure if they can lunge, split squat them. One of the reasons I love Smith machines. Yes, I love Smith machines and I want to get one. I used to boo-boo Smith machines till I was blue in the face. I love Smith machines for split squats, Bulgarians, and all that stuff that puts me in this position, which is a very, very challenging position from a balance standpoint. The Smith machine eliminates the balance need and you can just load the musculature. Sometimes you just want to load the musculature. You want to get away from all the acrobatic balance crap all right? Notice how bodybuilders get big. Notice how powerlifters get strong. A lot of times they do stuff big, big base or in a machine where they eliminate all the stability and they go right after the structure. There's reasons to do both. There's reasons to do both, but understand the best, the best use of each tool so you don't poo-poo a tool and then you go, God damn, maybe, you know, maybe the tool is not a bad tool for this and you're already on the other side. So now you gotta moonwalk your way back and say, you know what, I was wrong. So I've learned a lot, the, the hard way where 
I don't poo-poo too much things, too many things anymore. I kind of say, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? And then I will um, hand my disclosure then, right? <laughs> you know? So anyways, band presses and flies. Ooh, another thing. Here's your fly. Traditionally, we did these flies for the chest and bodybuilding. You did them cross, cross cable, parallel stance, being pulled from the sides. No problem, great from the chest. But here's another version. When you do the same fly, instead of being pulled from the sides downward, you're pulled from the back. Guess what? This front section has to take that load. And now it's a different animal, a totally different animal. So if you want to lengthen the front, get killer, killer chest, try flies in a staggered stance with both arms. It's a great alternative to the old bodybuilding cross cable fly. Still great activation for the chest with really, really profound benefits for the anterior core. Specifically, the iliosaurus and rectus femoris, which are need to be long for, for everything. Okay? You also have single arm variations, which are very sexy. Uh, and you have, of course, your pressing, alternating, two arms simultaneous, and one arm, ipsy and contralateral. So you have a lot of, lot of ways to lengthen the front. And when I say lengthen, it's also strengthening because that isometric stuff here gives your core an incredible amount of strength. Remember, in the old days, if you wanted to get past a sticking point in your squat, in your deadlift, in your bench, whatever, you did isometrics at that weak point. And it always resulted in the same thing, getting that weak point to be a strong point or at least getting you past those weak areas in a lift. So if we can use it for that application, how come we can't use it to lengthen the front so we can pitch better, so we can serve better, so we can run better? The answer is you can. And the answer is that this stance on this functional exercise, because these are under functional exercises, all right, this stance is an isometric, isometric contraction with a lengthened anterior core while you're doing hypertrophy for your chest. How cool is that, man? And that's never been discussed. That's never been brought out in the forefront. And this is what we've been doing here at IHP for 20 years in the same location. I've been doing it for 40 years. So this is how we make functional exercises become multi-purpose exercises. We can use it for bodybuilding and for lengthening that front core. So now my football player can have a good chest, build muscle, and run and be able to control the line. Pretty cool stuff. Hey, Bruce, you must, you must like that. Pretty cool, eh? All right, push-ups. Push-ups. When we first did three, our 300 uh, exercise volume, VHS volumes on the stability ball, this is one of the first things that happened. You know, it was like, we, oh, what about this? And we started doing push-ups on the stability ball. Feet on the ball, hands on the ball, you know, crazy stuff. And what's, what's, what's insane is this not only works the front, because it's the same thing as, the, um, as a normal push-up or a plank. But when you shape this, it fixes the shoulders. So this little exercise here is a multi-purpose exercise that we use not only for an anterior core strengthening exercise, but we also use it for a great shoulder and scapular stabilization. If you see anybody doing push-ups on the floor and their scapulas come out of their shirts or out of their skin, watch this. Put them on, on top of a stability ball, hands on the ball, and they don't even have to do a push-up. As, as soon as they go boom, watch the shoulder blades on the back, 99% of the times will just level off. So we teach them how to do push-ups here, then move them to the ground. Push-ups here, move them to the ground to see if we can get that scapular stabilization to stick, to stick for them to do it when they're on the floor. A lot of times we can get that and bingo, it fixes push-ups. So I'm telling you that as an added bonus to lengthening the hip flexors and strengthening the abdominal wall. All right, incline. Pulls, recline pulls. This is an awesome uh, exercise. Before the SBT, before the, uh, what do you call it, the um, uh, TRX, and there's a bunch of other things now, we, we were doing this in the 90s. You know how we were doing this in the 90s? With 10-foot ship ropes. I went to the ship, you know, in Florida. Of course, there's manila rope in every dock. So we went to a marine store, and we got about 100 feet, and we cut 10-foot 10, 10 sections. And we had them all over the gym. We would just wrap them over our cross-cable pulleys, and then we would recline, and we would hold on to the ropes because we first did these exercises 
with judo players and wrestlers to get good gripping. And so we would wrap the rope around a pull-up bar and do pull-ups this way. Then we'd do recline pulls and do them this way. Then we would put them together and do one arm. One arm holds to try to get, you know, big segments, okay? So we were doing this recline pull in, I, don't, I think it was 1992, the first time that I bought rope and actually did it, okay? So great exercise. This combines a cable row and a bridge all in one. And of course, this, you know, 70 degree incline is pretty easy. But when you come, you move these feet over here, right to this edge, and you drop this, where when they're like this, their back is almost touching the ground, let me tell you, it becomes a different animal. A different animal. It's like rowing with 200 pounds. Okay? So it's pretty, pretty, it can get pretty intense. It can get pretty intense, and you can bring it up. The nice thing about this exercise is that I can make it very intense for a wrestler down here, and I can take my 88-year-old mom, bring her up here, and she's doing it. This is what I mean by a, uh, an exercise that has unlimited progressions. It's beautiful. Great application. Okay, band RDLs and compound rows. This is your RDL position. So you can vary the flexion of the knee here. A lot of knee flexion less hamstring. Less knee flexion, more hamstring. Is your hamstring acute? In other words, was it pulled two weeks ago? Bend your knees a little bit more. Is your hamstring healthy and ready to rock? Maybe give me a 10% a 10 degree knee flexion and then the rest reach, reach down here, okay? And this is what I mean. The only difference is an RDL, the hands stay out. So it's just gonna be hip hinging here. Boom, 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 boom. A compound row, you finish with the row. So an RDL and a compound row is identical with the exception of the row, okay? Both good. I gotta tell you, a compound row, in my opinion, is a lot more natural than uh, a, a, a Romanian deadlift or just a deadlift. Most people, when they're straightening up, they wanna bring the elbows back. So when I show an RDL on a cable, a lot of times people do a compound row. He goes, they go like this, and I'm going, you know, yeah, like that, because a compound row is a progression, an upward progression from an RDL because it has more movement. So you would think it's more complex, but that more movement seems to be more natural in people. So although in, in my progressions, the RDL comes before the compound row, practically speaking, most people will do compound rows much easier than they will do uh, RDLs. And if they do that, man, I'm fine. Because ultimately, I want to get them to the row. Because why not get a two for one, right? It does, the, the compound row, the, the rowing motion doesn't take anything from this bottom position, which is the money position for the posterior chain. All right? Remember, the further I go out, the, more, the lower the back is, the more separation I get between the lumbar uh, vertebrae. When I get separation, traction between the lumbar vertebrae, my discs decompress. When my discs decompress, if they're compressing on a nerve, my nerve goes, ah, thank you, and the pain goes away. So a lot of times when I get acute backs that with, which are on fire, and I do this with them, okay, as soon as they go down, they go, oh, this feels so good. Because downward, it's being pulled that way, okay, and you can play around with, with the height on, on these handles, and when it gets pulled that way, it tracks, tractions the spine. When it tractions the spine, if there's any compression symptoms, boom, they go away. Little something extra, okay? Bridges, all sorts of bridges. We already talked about the hip thrust and all that. We have bridges. We have hip lifts. If the heel was on top of here with the toes up in the air, we would call that a bridge. This is called a hip lift, where you're pushing down on the balls of your feet, and let me tell you, not only do the hamstring and glutes and paraspinals take a beating, but that, those calves will cramp up on you like you would not believe. But there's no better exercise than this hip lift for running. If you turn this thing around like that, you will see this guy here in the middle of his stride. And so when we want to fix strength in the back, we want to fix hamstring injuries while lengthening the front, bingo, look how long this is. Now, what is the difference between let's say a rollout or a plank, and this, they both lengthen the front. There's two ways 
to lengthen this muscle here, the bicep. I can put a dumbbell here and just let the weight drop. So I would be lengthening it through an eccentric contraction. That means I am putting a load that forces my muscle to lengthen. So it's lengthening under load, one way. Another way to lengthen the bicep is don't have any weight. I just tighten my tricep, so I go like this. When I take, see, when I tighten my tricep, my bicep gets inhibited. It's a neural inhibition, it's called neural inhibition. When an agonist, okay, contracts, the antagonist gets inhibited, it means it relaxes. And that's a neural mechanism that allows this one to contract much easier because it's not fighting against this guy. So when this guy contracts, this guy relaxes. When this guy contracts, this guy relaxes, and it's this. See? And that way, you can, you can transfer loads a lot easier. And the antagonist gets inhibited. This is called neural inhibition. So there's two ways to lengthen a muscle. Lengthen it under load or lengthen it without load, putting load on the opposite and inhibiting it called neural inhibition. When the posterior chain here contracts, the anterior core lengthens, gets inhibited. So where the split stance lengthens the iliopsoas and rectus femoris with load, this lengthens the front without load through neural inhibition. So when you start mixing loading exercises and inhibiting exercises, you have a twofer, you have a, a, a two-way approach to fixing the same problems. You're telling the muscle, listen, if, load, if you don't like load, I'm gonna do this one that, that doesn't load you up and just allows you to relax. You know, and if you can take a little load and I can take a little relaxation here, I can get you to lengthen. And when I get you to lengthen and not be afraid of lengthening, then I can load you up a little bit more. And that's the approach. If you have something that's really chronic, don't load them that much, inhibit them. So if I, with really, really tight hip flexors, I'm not gonna pound a staggered stance split squat, you know, I'm not gonna do that. What I'll do is I'll get in there, all right, behind the scenes, right here. Strengthen, 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 lengthen, lengthen, lengthen. And then I'll just get you in a little split stance and maybe do that, and maybe do some presses. I won't split the stand too hard, so I don't lengthen that iliopsoas too much and that rectus femoris too much. I'm gonna let this one stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, do some hip thrust with the knee bent so I can stretch that rectus. And meanwhile, I will drop you deeper and deeper and deeper, okay, into a split squat, and I will get you deeper and deeper and deeper into a split stance for my presses. So I can lead with this one if the hip flexors are super tight. If they're just weak, I can do a little bit of this one and a little bit of strengthening, it's all good. If they're really, really tight and your back is on fire, I start with this one here. Okay, and I go real light on the other stuff. But these are little details of these exercises that man, when, once you know the details, you don't need complex stuff. The real simple stuff is, is simple. You know, we've been using hooks to catch fish, to fish for how long? Have the hooks changed? Yeah, maybe to shape, but it's still a point and a barb because it works really well. So you don't, it's basic, it's basic. Then within the basic, structure of a hook, then we can do more oval, long, longer necks, and all that good stuff to accommodate different fish, but it's still a fish hook. Got it? Bent over rows, okay? This kind of looks like an RDL, okay? And I can mess around with this position. I can be totally up, pull you from mid-low, mid-stance. Mid I can pull you from a bottom position and bent over. So this rowing, whoo, very nice. And this bent over row will isometrically, isometrically go for the back. So I'm strengthening the back. I'm not lengthening the front too much here. Why? Because you can see the hip flexor. But I'm really, really strengthening the back. So this is more of a strengthen the back as opposed to that one where it's strengthen the back, lengthen the front. And that one, which is pure back. And that one is pure back. See? So we have some that are back dominant, some that are front dominant, some that are both. So with these progressions that we have, you've got everything, you've got everything, okay? So these bent over positions are super, super, super duper. I prefer that orientation instead of a dumbbell, but a dumbbell is also good if you don't, if you don't have a, a, a cable, okay? 
The programming, you can put these exercises by themselves. You can put them in circuits. You can work with functional programming, which is just pure functional, functional, functional. You can work in hybrid systems, which is combining traditional uh, machine exercises with some of the functional stuff, okay? And then you, we can get a weekly look. For example, a circuit. This is called a triple threat. I mean, if you haven't, we, we've got the, the triple th threat seminar in uh, our Patreon, and we have it, uh, we've also covered the triple threat also on Instagram and YouTube. So this is our Hamstrings of Steel program right here. You do this 20, 20 uh, week program, and you can do the 20 week program if you're advancing, you can probably do it in five weeks, okay? But 20 weeks, anybody can do it. Okay, you do this, you'll never have problems with your hamstrings, period, end of story, done. Okay, so this is a sample of a circuit. Each one, if you do this on Monday, do this on Wednesday, and do this on Fridays, that's an example of doing individual exercises, okay? Now, weekly programming, this is what it can look like. This is the hybrid, okay? If it's totally functional, then all exercises are functional, okay? Every individual exercise can, uh, you know, can create a base, Okay, you can use biplexes, triplexes, this is a triplex. 10 to 30 repetitions are your standard, your functional ra ranges, and two to three series or sets are, are your normal. This is an example of what we call a hybrid program. Why? Because this is normally what gets done here. We have, we have $300,000 worth of machines. Why not use them? A lot of people want bigger shoulders, bigger arms, nicer butts, bigger thighs. Why not get them? Use a leg press. Why? Nobody says that you have to squat. Squatting is awesome, but if you don't like it, if your knees can't take it, if your back can't take it, whatever, you don't have to squat. We have 50 million leg presses here. We have leg extension, leg curls. We have all that stuff. So our hybrid training allows us to use a traditional exercise, okay, and then a functional exercise and a functional exercise. So basically what we're doing is we're using the rest period between this traditional exercise to do two functional exercises using a triplex, three exercises. We can use a biplex, just do two exercises. So it depends on how much function you want to put in there. All right? So the key rule when we're doing, when we're doing hybrid, not the exclusive rule, but ju just a general rule is stay out of the way of the red muscles. So if you're working legs, when you're doing this functional stuff, stay away from the legs. So if you're doing functional leg, I mean, if you're doing traditional legs today, leg press, leg extension, leg curls, um, squats, lunges, and deadlifts, whatever, in between, do something for your chest, your back, your core, chest, back, core. On, on, on push or chest day, you're going to be looking at shoulder pressing, bench pressing, dips, let's say. In between, do a, uh, a leg and a back, leg and a back, leg and a back. On back days... All right, you're going to be doing your traditional pull-down, seated row, upright row, let's say. Okay, in between your rest periods, do some leg, do some chest. And then you can do some, you know, rehab stuff. You can do some rotations core. You can do posterior core, anterior core, and you can throw all that in there. Got it? But don't, if you're doing back, don't mess with the back. Do legs and chest functionally. If you're doing chest that day, leave the chest alone. Let, let the machines and, and bodybuilding take care of the chest. Take care of your legs and your back functionally, all right? And if you're doing legs, take care of your chest and your back functionally. And that's our hybrid approach, our weekly program. This is what we call the cookie cutter. This is the most standard program that we do. Why? Because it works with everybody. No matter what you have, this works with. Now, remember, these are classifications, traditional strength, traditional strength, traditional strength for legs and hip. This is an example of an exercise, leg press. Example of an exercise, dumbbell lunges. Example, deadlifts, but it could be anything. It could be Bulgarian squat. It could be step-ups. It could be deadlifts. It could be anything you want, okay? So this is our weekly cookie-cutter hybrid program using triplexes. This is our most popular program that we use here at IHP. All of this is covered in our certifications. The fitness instructor is our first certification, the exercise specialist is the second, and the certified personal trainer is the third. IHP Pro Shop, you can find all of them there. They're in English and in Spanish. Great pricing. We got COVID pricing. All the other organizations, they're 50% off. You see how much? 500 bucks. So it's 50% off of 1,000. That's not what we did. What we did was a real special, a real special in Spanish. Heck, because... For example, um, Venezuela, 
4 million Venezuelan bolares to a US dollar. So a sandwich over there costs you whatever, $6 million, okay? Six million uh, bolivares of uh, Venezuela. You can't, you can't charge $500 for these people in South America. So we've given them a huge special. We've also given our American colleagues uh, huge specials, IHP Pro Shop for all. And this is covered in all three certifications. It's introduced in the instructor. It's pounded a little heavier in the exercise specialist and in the um, personal trainer. This thing is covered to umpteenth degrees, okay? You've got like 30 different programs and templates, all right? So that is our presentation on anti-sitting. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you sit too much, which chances are you do, and your clients sit too much, chances are they do, one thing you have to do, okay? What is it? You lengthen the front, strengthen the back. And if you do that, everything is going to be all right, okay? Please follow us on social media. We are everywhere. Rio has done a phenomenal job. We are on Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, Big Tech, Big Ding, Boom, everything, okay? We're, we're everywhere, right? In Spanish and English. And if you want to go to our pro shop and see our downloadables, see our certifications, see our books, DVDs, whatever you want, all of our educational stuff is on ihpproshop.com. You want to get a hold of me, jcs at ihpfit.com. That's it, folks. Thank you very much, and we'll see you at IHP Pro Shop.